figure out a way in, in, in virtual environments, it might be a little bit easier to send an email than have to go to up to somebody, you know, in an in-person setting and um, reach out to them. And you never know where that may get you. But I've, I've had a lot of positive experiences that way. And so I can't, I can't recommend it more. You ever have so many questions and no one to ask, so they're just wasting away on Google searches you'll forget about in an hour or so. We had that same problem, and that's why we created the RD2B podcast, a resource for dietetic and nutrition students looking for answers that their peers don't have. We are students Macy and Emily and registered dietitian Carl Barnes. We engage in conversations and learn from RDs. Join us weekly as we gain insight into the unique journeys of registered dietitians all over the country. Welcome back to another week of the RD2B podcast. I'm your registered dietitian host, Carl Barnes. This is our weekly podcast where we sit down with a different registered dietitian each week to highlight the diversity of opportunity in the field and learn about uh, the different awesome uh, career paths of registered dietitians and really dismantle the notion of there being a particular path to becoming a dietitian or even working as a dietitian. Um, so we're excited to be sitting with Dr. Amy Mobley today. She's an uh, associate professor in health education and behavior. Really excited to learn more about your, um, your career path, all the awesome things you've done, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. Great. Um, and I'm Emily, you're already to be from the University of Maryland. So what made you want to pursue the nutrition education and research in your career? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, actually, when I went to college as an undergraduate, I was accepted as an education major because I wanted to be a teacher. And um, I really liked math. I thought I wanted to be a math teacher, but I also really liked science. And so when I was a freshman, um, I was talking to my advisor and they're like, well, you should take this introductory nutrition class. And I took it and I loved it. And I said to my advisor, I said, well, can I teach nutrition? And she said, well, you can, but you should get a higher degree. You should get a graduate degree, like a PhD. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I had no idea what I was sort of getting myself into. And as I sort of pursued then a nutrition degree as an undergraduate, um, I always had in the back of my mind, I wanted to get a PhD, but at the same time, my advisor was talking to me about, well, if you want to work with people and focus on sort of nutrition needs of people, then you really should also earn your RD credential. And again, I was like, okay, <laughs> not really knowing what that involved. And so um, she also enlightened me that if I wanted to get a PhD and go to graduate school eventually, that I should also think about getting some research experience and sort of exploring that side of the field. So that sort of led me like I can still have the science and math part, but I also could have this sort of education part. And as a senior, I think it was when I was an undergrad, I took a nutrition education class and I just really loved it. And I knew like, I wanna work in that field in particular. And so I did eventually work a bit in the nutrition education field specifically after I earned my RD, but then went back to school and got my PhD as well. Great. So what made you want to pursue a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate in nutrition? Opposed yeah, to I know it's kind of, out? It's, it's a lot. And, and sometimes they say to sort of mix it up, but I knew that was the field I wanted to focus on. 
and sort of my life path just kept me on that track. So, you know, pursuing my undergraduate in nutrition led me to be able to be eligible to do a dietetic internship. And since I knew I wanted to eventually earn a PhD, um, some of the options during that time, which aren't as common now, I know the master's is, you know, obviously going to be required here in a year or two um, for all students who were looking to be an RD. But at the time, I'm like, well, I know I wanted to be to get my PhD, so I might as well, during my internship, go ahead and earn my master's degree. And so I went, when I was looking at internships, um, I also like large universities and sort of that big, you know, those opportunities there. So I was at Penn State for my bachelor's. And then when I was looking at opportunities for the internship, I was looking a lot in the state of Ohio and Pennsylvania. And Ohio State had a combined master's um, dietetic internship program. And I thought, oh, this is a really good opportunity. And when I went there to visit, you know, I had an opportunity to do a thesis and to do some research and get some of that experience. And then I had, of course, the opportunity to do my internship and also work as a teaching assistant. So I was like, well, I can kind of get some exposure to the teaching part. I can also get some research experience and earn my master's degree. And that'll take me, you know, that next step towards eventually becoming or, or sort of pursuing my PhD in nutrition or, or in a similar field. So once I successfully completed my master's in my internship and then the RD exam, looked into a PhD or another degree by education related to dairy nutrition science. So working for the Dairy Council um, for about four years, I was in Columbus, Ohio, and sort of our organization was um, in addition to sort of part of Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And we did, uh, we worked with health professionals, we worked with schools, we worked um, with the media to get out messaging about the importance of dairy and the diet. And I really enjoyed that but I also knew that I wanted to eventually go back to school and get my PhD and work in an academic setting where I sort of was the person who made the decisions of what I really wanted to focus on. And I really enjoyed my job at the time, but I also knew I wanted a little bit more and I wanted some more autonomy in what I focused on. And that's really one of the sort of big benefits of the job that I have now is I have a lot of that autonomy to pick and choose what I want to focus on in the research that I do and somewhat in the classes that I teach as well. So I went back to school and um, pursued my PhD in nutrition. But I have to say, though, when I was at the University of Maryland, um, I wanted to diversify my coursework a bit more. And most of my classes were probably in the Department of Public Health at the time. I know it's changed quite a bit since I've been there. But most of the classes I took were in things like health behavior, health education, um, public health, health policy. So I, I sort of changed it up a bit. And that was my focus mostly in my, um, in my PhD. And so then once I got my PhD, I went right into an academic position after that. Great. So I know one of the things um, that goes along with your PhD is doing research and stuff like that. So how is research in a community and public health setting different than being like in a lab or something of that nature? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And what's really nice about the field of nutrition is we do have that spectrum of nutrition all the way from lab and working on cells and DNA and sort of the molecular level all the way to the other end of the spectrum where it's more of the public health community um, policy translation side of nutrition. And it's nice to be able to see when those two sort of eventually connect. Um, doesn't always happen and people sort of miss that point. But um, I really enjoy obviously the translation of information, the dissemination of information, that education component and taking those maybe basic science studies and translating it to the public or to the consumer. And so we really are, our lab is really the community. And um, anything that I do and the type of research that I do, I try to ensure that it has, it is applicable to the public or to the target population that I work with. I often work with families with young children, um, underserved, underrepresented families where the needs are really high for preventing diseases, things like obesity or heart disease. Um, so we're sort of in the community talking and working with the people, asking them, they're sort of the drivers often, like, what are your needs? What types of information do you need about feeding your kids? And what are sort of the confusion or what are the confusing points about those sorts of recommendations, the messaging that we get? from the dietary guidelines and informing those programs and policies so that we can shape people's behaviors and improve their health ultimately. So I know that's my, obviously my opinions and what I enjoy, but um, there's a need for all spectrums of research. And I know during COVID-19, it's sort of, we typically go out and we talk to people in the community and there's obviously challenges in doing that, but luckily with technology today, we were able to pivot the work that we do and reach people through things like Zoom and through phone. And um, we do things with um, mobile phones and, and creating apps and prototypes of apps and testing those. So we've been able to still continue most of our work with the community, but in a different way. Definitely. And I feel like now more so like previously, like you said, it, we do have the technology to continue research regardless of what life throws. So since you've done nutrition research as well as nutrition education, what do you think you gravitate more towards and try to do in your everyday life if you favor one or the other? Yeah. And actually the research that I do has nutrition education components to it. So I'm really fortunate that I can do both. And I, in the job that I have now, I, um, I do research and I do teaching and I do service, but I try to integrate all of them together. So when I'm teaching a class, I, we talk about research methods. We do research you know, many projects in the class, or I engage my students in, in my own research group. Um, when I'm doing service or in professional organizations, I try to engage, you know, the work that I'm doing or um, my students in the process of teaching. So not, I don't know that everybody can do that or does do that, but I know I try to, because there are connections and I try to sort of make sure we intersect those things. But there is nutrition education, obviously, efforts alone, and there's research efforts alone. 
but we try to sort of do both if we can and, and be efficient in those ways. So I'm fortunate that I have that opportunity to do that. I can't say everybody probably does. I'm sure. And then to top it all off, you're the chair of the Nutrition Education for the Public, DPG. So what yes. is that? So what does that, like, what do you guys do within that DPG? Um, and also what requirements do you have to fulfill for that um, role of chair? Yeah, so I am really fortunate to serve in that role as chair, um, particularly this year. And um, the dietetic practice groups, as you may know, are a big part of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and allowing the members to sort of pick and choose subgroups of the academy where they may have a special interest or experience or want to sort of learn, learn more. And I've been a member, I think, of this particular DPG probably for over 20 years. I don't know. Um, they've asked me in the past, would, would I be interested in running for a position? And I had been on other boards for other organizations. And I was like, I can't do it now, but yes, I'm interested maybe in the future. And then, so once that opportunity opened, I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm sort of interested in this. And, you know, we had the, the election and I was fortunate to be elected in the position of chair. So our job is to really, um, showcase nutrition education in terms of the academy members that are interested in that particular area and having visibility in the academy of the importance of nutrition education for the public. Um, there's also nutrition education and health professionals and some other DPGs that might have some overlapping interests like public health and community. They sort of have some overlapping interests and we try to work with them as well together as DPGs. But our members have indicated, you know, they have an interest in this or they're working in this field. So we do continuing education opportunities. We might do webinars. We have um, several newsletters a year. We always have a presence at the FINC, the annual meeting, um, where we may either host a session. Uh, we submit proposals every year to host a session. We have events for our members, networking events for continuing education events. And then just this, this past year, I was able to initiate a new sort of student committee where we have two student members who serve as co-chairs. And then we invite, of course, any other students that want to have more of an involvement in the DPG because being a member is one thing, but being more actively involved is another. And so they've been able to initiate um, a really fun activity that we had during the FINCI virtual meeting where it was more of a networking sort of game opportunity. We played Kahoot. If you've played Kahoot, sort of fun. We had prizes, that sort of thing. And now they're going to have a column in our newsletter and we hope to continue additional efforts like a presence on our website. So as the chair, I'm fortunate to work with the other volunteers. We're all volunteers, obviously. With the other volunteers, either as part of our executive committee or our leadership team, and now with our student committee and um, continue these activities, but also keeping an open ear to our membership of what their interests and needs are and having that flexibility um, to meet those needs. So it's sort of a really exciting opportunity for me to have this ability to work with people across the country and sometimes internationally um, who are members of our group to really spotlight nutrition education for the public. Most definitely. So I guess what kind of past experiences have you had, whether it was an undergrad or just as a master's student, 
doctoral student that have helped you achieve where you are today? Yeah, that's a really loaded question, right? That's, um, you know, I was just talking to one of my grad students literally yesterday, and I was telling her how much networking has shaped probably my life and career. And I'm not, not taking this lightly. I mean, literally every job I've had, I've had, um, this is my third academic position in academia. We tend to, we move around quite a bit for opportunities, new opportunities in the, in my job, but, um, in sort of in the course of earning the different degrees I've had, every job that I've had was a result of knowing somebody or knowing, you know, of somebody at that institution or at that job. I remember right when I was finishing my internship and my master's degree, and I started looking for jobs. I wasn't going to go back to school right away. And I wanted to do something in nutrition education, but I didn't know if there was even a job for me. And I applied to teach at a community college. I applied to some hospital positions. Um, and then I was talking to a friend and she's like, hey, I heard there's a position open at, you know, the dairy council and, you know, they have a nutrition education focus. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. And I just, after I got off the phone with her, I got on the, you know, I got on the phone because at the time we didn't really use email as much. I got on the phone with the person who was the job contact and I was like, I heard there's an opening. Is there still time to apply? She goes, yes, we're interviewing right now. Get your application in. And and then it all just sort of fell into place. So it was, again, it's that, and I knew that person who connected me to the job because I had volunteered for, um, on the board for the Columbus Dietetic Association at the time I was living in Ohio and had met several people as part of that volunteer position. And so knowing someone has always somehow connected me to a job opportunity in often getting that job. So I think that's my, probably my number one recommendation of, you know, what it, what was it about sort of my past, you know, what would I recommend or what, what, what was, what are some of those sort of little tips that I would have? I think networking is my number one. So I guess bouncing off of networking, how would you advise students to network, especially when we're still in a time where we can't really you know, go to, I don't know, just different, I guess I don't want to say like career fests, but career stuff where COVID is still like uh, stopping that a little bit. Yeah. Um, although what's really nice is we still have this virtual world or virtual environment. I would say, don't be shy. Um, I know it can be intimidating to reach out to people that you don't know or that you have an interest in. If someone has a job that really interests you, reach out to them, ask them about it. Most people are really, as you can see, really happy to talk about themselves. Um, but you know, not that you're trying to get their job necessarily, but like, how did you get a job like yours? It's very, you know, it interests me. It's something I may want to do. I just want to kind of hear like your path, like you're doing with this podcast, essentially. Um, reaching out, getting involved in organizations, and that could be local, regional, national. I know that one of our student co-chairs for our DPG had made a comment recently that she didn't know students could be involved in DPGs. She thought only 
sort of advanced professionals could be involved. And I was like, no, 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 like we want you to be involved because a lot of the members of our DPG are students and we want to engage you. We want you to become, you know, once you, you know, get through your RD exam or graduate, uh, we want you to become, you know, sort of permanent members in our group and then potentially in a leadership, leadership position. So as much as you can getting involved and not just becoming a member, the becoming an active member. I had a advisor tell me that a long time ago as an undergrad, you know, it's one thing to list, I'm a member of the academy or I'm a member of another organization on your resume, but if you can show you had some leadership role or you were on a committee, um, meeting other people that way. And that's where I was like, okay, you know, I won't be as shy when I, even when I was in my internship, I had approached the dietetic association, the local one, and asked them, like, could I be on the board? Like, I wanted to run for, I don't know, the public relations committee or, or something. I can't even remember now. And they're like, well, we don't know. You know, you're a student. <laughs> so let's figure this out. And I remember the chair at the time. She's like, well, yeah, why not? Let's, let's let them, you know, her be involved. And so they let me, of course, be on this committee. And um that really does help those connections. So reaching out to people, um, there are some groups that have formal mentoring programs that you could become a part of and be connected to a mentor or mentors, but don't be shy. I know it, it can be intimidating. Um, I'm an introvert by nature, so I'm not always the one walking up to people like, hello, but um, I think if you can sort of figure out a way and in, in, in virtual environments, it might be a little bit easier to send an email than have to go to up to somebody, you know, in an in-person setting and um, reach out to them. And you never know where that may get you, but I've, I've had a lot of positive experiences that way. And so I can't, I can't recommend it more. Great. And I guess my final question will be, what is the most fulfilling part of your career as a community, I guess, nutrition educator? Yeah, you know, it's a couple things, actually, probably two main things. Um, because I work in an academic setting, I have this really unique opportunity to impact students on different levels. So I work with undergraduates and graduate students. I direct our graduate program, which has master's and PhD students, and I advise graduate students. So being able to see students succeed is like a huge reward um, for me. And, you know, my students are really sweet and they'll give me like a present and I'm like, you don't have to give me a present. I just, your success is like, <laughs> like my present, uh, my reward pretty much. I'm not looking, you know, for that sort of thing. So seeing students succeed, seeing them learn and, you know, walk away or figure out what they want to do in life, that sort of thing. That's a, that's a big reward um, or benefit of my position, but also because I get to do community or public health, nutrition education related research, I get to see the programs and the, the work that I do benefit the consumers or individuals in the community, often people who need it the most. And that might be creating educational products for them or a program or implementing that for the families. I remember doing a, um, Father, we do father-focused um, childhood obesity prevention work, and we had a community 
faith-based program and the fathers are bringing their kids and just being there and seeing them interacting with each other and just enjoying the program and, you know, connecting with each other was like, wow, this is like, this is amazing. This is what, this is why I'm in the field that I am and I do what I do. So I see those two things that seeing that impact on the community and the families, but also being able to impact students in their career. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.